Hey, horror, wine, and crime. Welcome back to another episode. <laughs> What's up, Lo? Aloha. Aloha. Lo's back from Hawaii. She's got the nice tan glow going on. I do. I do. Thank you. Thank you. Mahalo. That means thank <laughs> you in Hawaii. <laughs> Mahalo. I told Pat I wanted to say it to people while we were there, but when I did, I felt like such a poser. Did you do it? Um. If people said it to me, like locals, but a lot of times I just said thank you. Yeah, I know. I probably would have chickened out too. I would have been like, oh, I want to, but also I'm scared. (laughs) Uh, But it was great. Um, Came home just in time, as you guys could probably see all over the news. However, we were not in Maui. We were in Honolulu, but I have a feeling Honolulu is getting even more busier right now. Yeah, people probably uh, heading anywhere else they can aside from Maui at the moment. Yes. How was New York? It was good. Um, that It was also uh, busy there because it's New York. <laughs> but it was also like 100 degrees. So I was like sweating my butt off the whole time. But it was still good. Yeah, me and Kay could not have been on more opposite sides of the world if we tried. I know, completely opposite sides. Couldn't have been further. Actually, we probably could have been further, but like geography, I'm not the best at. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> so, today's episode is going to be, I think, a fun one. Yes. Um, We got some comparing to do, and then I do have a true story to get into after. Not exactly the same, but along those lines. Hey, we'll take it. We're excited to hear it, Lo. Yeah, I had half a story done, and then what I was researching was a video, and I came back, and then I had to pay for it. That's so annoying when they do that. And then they give no warning either that you have to pay for it. And it's like, you already got me hooked. Now you want me to pay when I'm like almost halfway done? Yeah. And then trying to research it online, which there was some information, but not enough information because it wasn't like a big headline story, you know? Yeah. So I uh, had to buckle down and get my ass in gear and get a new story ready to go out. So and I did it. Good job, Lo. We appreciate it. (laughs) Thanks. So, I am going to sit here. I'm going to drink my Moscato. And I am going to talk to you guys. KK, Dax, Monica, open up your earballs and let's get ready. We are going to compare Fatal Attraction versus Fatal Attraction. Love and then it. I'm going to end it with a fatal attraction. I mean, iconic trio right there. <laughs> so, without further ado, we'll take a quick break and then we'll get into it. I just want to be a part of your life. Oh, this is the way you do it, huh? Show up at my appointments. What am I supposed to do? You won't answer my calls. You change your number. I mean, I'm not going to be ignored then. I'm not going to be ignored. Dan. Oh, oh famous. Great quote. line. Great Classic. line. Classic. If you guys and the don't delivery know, of it. 
Oh, for sure. If you guys don't know, that was Fatal Attraction. That was the 1987. Actually came out in September 16th. 1987 and it was starring Michael Douglas, Glenn Close and Ann Archer and when I say Glenn Close delivered, I really feel like she delivers. I love her. She's amazing. So if you're not sure even what that is because you live under a rock and you're not in any clue what's going on, it is about a married man who has a one night stand, but then it comes back to haunt him when that lover begins to stalk him and his family. So first off, great movie. Second off, another little ding, ding, ding with this story is a line from Sleepless in Seattle and Tom Hanks's rant, and I just love it. Why can't we go to New York? There is no way that we are going on a plane to meet someone who could be a crazy, sick lunatic. Didn't you see Fatal Attraction? You wouldn't let me. Well, I saw it, and it scared the shit out of me. It scared the shit out of every man in America. I will say, and me and my husband talked about this while we watched the movie, because I did make him watch the Glenn Close version with me. Um, he never seen it, and... We had been arguing earlier in the day, and I just think he felt bad. So he's like, whatever, I'm going to watch whatever she wants to watch. But <laughs> uh, we both agreed, like, his wife was way hotter than Glenn Close. Like, so yeah. I didn't get why the affair started anyway. Because some men just be pigs, I guess. <laughs> you know. Just, they want to do it for the thrill. I guess. However... I don't think they could have cast a better actress than Glenn Close to play that role. I just don't think she was sexy or beautiful. You know what I mean? She was more strong and sophisticated, you know, but. Yeah. um, She definitely nailed the crazy. Yeah. I mean, she even went on to be Cruella DeVille. I mean, come on. I know that Fatal Attraction was her audition for Cruella DeVille. (laughs) So. I reached some research, some fun facts, and some of the things that came across about the movie was that the audience, they remember the movie, they remember the spontaneous of it, and they also remember what they call the goofy kitchen sex scene, and what I mean by that was that Glenn Close splashing water on her face like while they're having sex was just kind of like very cheesy and like what the hell is happening like yeah i just feel awkward (laughs) perfectly described (laughs) like it wasn't like a sexy shower scene they were doing it like he's ravaging her ravaging her on the kitchen sink which is hot but then she's just like oh let me splash water on us like yeah it was very a weird move I feel like a weird call to make <laughs> yeah like they remember that over the acid being put on the car um, <laughs> they remember that more than like the fight scenes at the end of the movie but for some reason the awkward water scene sticks out the most and uh, <laughs> 30 seconds of 
screwing and the elevator was the close top second. Oh, America. America. <laughs> America. <laughs> so there were two endings to the movie. I will admit I didn't see the second ending. The first ending had Alex planting Dan's fingerprints on a knife and then killing herself while Madam Butterfly played in the background. Um, they did a test run on it and the audience felt unsatisfied. So Paramount decided to reshoot the ending and make it more violent. Um, they had Dan's wife um, be the only one untainted by the character. And shockingly, she walks up and shoots Alex as a statement on preserving the American family, basically saying, bitch, this is my family. Peace. Like, Back I off. get yeah, and I get that, but also, like, I'd be mad as hell at him, too. <laughs> oh, for sure. I mean, yeah, he was groveling to get back in her good graces, you know. As he should have. Oh. Yeah, and he's probably has a lot more to do. Like, you better just right. get, like, a Tiffany's credit card. <laughs> yeah, literally. No limit. <laughs> no limit. You know, a Prada bag won't hurt. Right. <laughs> Um, the movie caused a phrase called bunny boiler to become part of a cult classic, um, basically just a phrase heard around the world. Um, there's a disturbing scene when Alec boils Dan's kid's pet bunny and the UK cited it as an urban dictionary after the movie and they call it the bunny boiler, which they define it as a, after a relationship breakup, the person who wants some kind of revenge, like stalking or harassment, they use that phase. Um, it's also referred to as an obsessive, dangerous female in pursuit of a lover who has um, basically been burned. Um, close herself said that she was uneasy about the scene. The only thing that bothered her was the rabbit. She said it on Oprah that she thought boiling the rabbit was over the top. Agreed. <laughs> yeah, that that was hard to watch. Um, I'm, and it was just like, I get that you're angry, but why would you do that to a little girl? Yeah, like, and an innocent little rabbit. You're right. Like, the whole thing is, like, I'm, like, who wrote this? That's twisted. <laughs> like, um, who thought about even having her do that? People. Crazy minds out there. Glenn had the knife that she tried to kill Michael Douglas with framed. Um, in the theatrical ending, Alex comes after Dan with a knife but doesn't succeed. And in getting away with murder, uh, Vanity Fair had framed the fake knife and now she has it hanging in her kitchen it's an illusion it's a cardboard prop she said it's also rather creepy but it's a good reminder of the film could you imagine just walked around the house like that's just like the table talk oh yeah that's the knife i tried to kill michael douglas with honestly i mean that would be i would show everybody i mean it's just for a movie obviously but 
anybody who came over, I would be like, look at this. But you got to realize, like, she's done a lot of movies. But when you see Glenn Close, this is the movie you think of. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Like you said, 101 Dalmatians comes in real close. (laughs) Okay, but like our parents' generation. Right, right, right. Okay. (laughs) True. Um, One of the reasons that the film is so controversial is that it, in a negative way, depicted mental illness. So psychiatrists have said that Alex suffered from eutromania. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right. And that is a condition in which a person wrongly believes a person is in love with them. Close spoke to two psychiatrists in preparation for her role. And she said that Alex's behavior, especially boiling the bunny, um, because of the mental illness, it was a little bothersome because mental disorder never came up in the movie. Like they never did the possibility of, was she having mental health issues? And of course, that would be the first thing people would think of these days. And she said it would have a different outlook on her character and the script would be totally different if it was written today. Yeah, I definitely get that because like her actions clearly display mental illness, but it was never like a topic or even like a thought that anybody had or brought up. So then it like painted her definitely like in a different light. I mean, either way, what she was doing was insane, but it just paints it kind of a different picture of it. Oh, yeah, because she was just a crazy bitch in this movie. Right. Um, A lot of people have said in interviews and on podcasts that I listened to that they kind of felt bad for Glenn Close, that Michael Douglas was kind of a dick for doing what he did, and he was an arrogant asshole. And I kind of disagree a little bit. And, And hear me out, okay? If you remember the movie... There was flirtation on both ends. But do you remember the scene when they were sitting in the diner and she's basically offering to come home and she's saying your your wife is out of town. He never lied about being married and being a family. Right. Like he wasn't deceiving about that like aspect. Like she knew it wasn't like she didn't know. And she basically said like, hey, do you want to live a little this weekend? Like. The cat's away, the mouse will play. Right. He didn't trick her into anything. Like, they both made that decision, like, individually. And they were both fine with it in the moment. And they had their sex, and then they partied, and then he went back, and he probably should not have slept over. No. However, it did happen. He chalked it up as in, okay, we had a great weekend, and I have to go. And she did not let go. I do not believe that it was Michael Douglas should be all the blame of this because he never once hid that he was married. He never once alluded that it was going to be a relationship. It was very put on the table. Like it was going to be a one and done flame in my opinion. Right. Like if she didn't have like this mental illness where she like thinks that people are in love with her or whatever it was called. Like, it would be very clear to everybody else that that's what that situation was. But since she, like, suffered from this 
obviously she she was having different uh thoughts going on yeah and i just wanted to say that for as much as it was his fault she knew what she was doing too like takes two to tango yes so that's just on me i was just very appalled by how many people put it all on michael douglas and didn't really give her the take owner of her own actions as much as she should have been given you know yeah because they both they both did wrong and they both uh you know made their decisions and made wrong decisions on both parts and he did try to let her down gently he did say i'm so sorry i did not know that's what you were thinking and then the bitch cuts her wrists and tries to kill herself (laughs) yeah she took it she took it a little far a little dramatic uh and then he stayed with her to make sure she was okay and yeah because like what is he supposed to do in that situation he's not gonna be like oh peace out good luck with that yeah and then he's like i'll take you to the hospital and you know no 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 don't do that so one minute you're trying to kill yourself the next minute please don't take me to the hospital i'm fine very now that you're gonna stay with me (laughs) So very clearly that's statement. a very, very fast moving bitches got problems. Should have known right then. Oh, he was having the oh shit moment. What did I do? Right there. Yeah. <laughs> Karma. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> the film became a huge box office success. It grossed $320 million against a $14 million budget. Cha-ching. No shit. It became the highest grossing film in 1987 worldwide. It's crazy. It really is. But that's why it's a classic. Now, I will say because it is very clockwork of me and very predictable of me. You see something and I'm like, oh my God, they did a new, they did a series of this. Really? (laughs) I hate remakes. You know, I'm a stickler for originals. Yeah. You love the OGs. So I didn't really think much of it, but then, then I'm listening to Dax Shepard and guess who's on there? Janice. (laughs) Yes. Izzy Kaplan's on there and she won my heart. She gets. She hits my funny bone a lot. Very hard. I like everything that I've seen her in. And I'm listening and I'm talking. I'm like, oh, shit. That's her that's playing Alex. I'm like, now I really want to watch this. So I did. And then I'm texting Kay. I'm like, hey, you have homework, whether you like it or not. Well, and I liked the way, it. So <laughs> I was like, by the way, guess who's on Dax Shepard and guess who's playing Alex? And she's like, oh, shit. I'm on it. I'm on board. I'm here for it. And she was. She did her homework, people. It did not disappoint. It was really good. Yep. Like, like I would recommend everybody to watch it. Like, it was so good. Yeah, I I like her. So I do like the wife that played up against Alex as well, Amanda Pete. She was in Whole Nine Yards with... Bruce Willis and Matthew Perry hold 10 yards. 
um, she's been in quite a few things. I think Saving Silverman, um, kind of like a teeny bopper type movie, A Lot Like Love, Something's Gotta Give, 2012. So she's been around. And I thought she played the cute, wholesome mother and wife. She was a very good housewife. Yeah, I agree. She definitely, she played that role really well because like, even when things got intense, she like still played like a strong character, but she was still had like the sweet undertone of like the understanding part of everything, which, you know, hats off to her because I'd be losing my mind. Oh yeah. She was scorned. She was angry. She was hurt. But she shielded her child and she put her child first and she, you know, she did what any other wife would smartly do. She's like, get the hell out of the house. I don't want to see you. Bye. Right. She was probably, she was the the best character out of them all as far as like who she was as a person. I do like that they had the bunny in the movie, but they just showed it like hopping around. They didn't hurt it. I know. Yeah. I I was kind of scared when I first saw it. I was like, oh no. Is it gonna be in this? But luckily it was not. Um spoiler alert. So if you haven't seen it yet, you might want to fast forward a little bit. Um I like how the ending of it, it wasn't even Dan that did it. So that was oh, a plot I know. that was a plot twist. I know, because like I kind of the whole time, like in the beginning, was kind of going back and forth. Like I didn't ever think he did it, but I also was like, well, maybe he did. And then once it got like to the later episodes, I was like, who the heck did this? And I was trying to like guess. And um yeah, the person who did it was probably my last guess. <laughs> yeah, so obviously they left it open for another season. I first off, Joshua Jackson, I mean, who doesn't love Pacey, right? <laughs> From Dawson's Creek. Oh, huh. Yeah, I yeah. know what that is. <laughs> so I am a little confused about the daughter's situation because she told her best friend's secret, which I thought was kind of shady. Yeah. But then at the very end, her counselor comes home and she's in his house. And he says, what are you doing here? And she's just looking at him and she's like, what did she say? She's like, I'm making you uncomfortable. Am I scaring you? I feel like there's definitely going to be like when they make a new season, I wonder if she'll be like one, like the main focus. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but it's just kind of, I don't know. Like, for me, that was kind of weird. Like, so you're going to have a stalker, crazy-ass ex that you are getting out of a murder trial from. 
trying to retrial yourself to prove innocence, but then you're going to have your daughter go through it. I don't know. To me, it's like a stretch. Yeah, it is kind of like, honestly, I feel like what they should have done is like wrap up this whole scenario and then season two, you know, bring in new cast, a new story, you know, just like every season, it'd be like a new story, like a new yeah. fatal attraction story. I feel like that would have been better because like, like you said, that's kind of like far-fetched. Like it's just a little, a little too much. I thought so too. Um, but it was good. It was definitely a fresh take. Um, you know, obviously more modern and more, you know, 2023-ish. Um, but I do like that they kept in, I will not be ignored, Dan. <laughs> yeah. They had to have. I would have been mad if they didn't. <laughs> they did change it. Instead of cutting her wrist, she did take pills. I thought that was a little kind of cheesy because she comes out like, how many pills is too much? Like, I know. To me, that, like, that was just like, really? That was stupid. Yeah. That would have been... She would have been better off like making a loud noise in the bathroom and then having him come in and be like, oh, my God, what did you take? You know? Right. Yeah. Like running in there, not her being like, "Mm, so how many does it take? Yeah. Basically saying like, oh, um, by the way, I just took a lot of pills. What did you take? I don't know. Like everything. (laughs) (laughs) So I thought that was kind of a little more cheesy-esque too what i did like was how they like like the time frame of everything that they shot like how it went back and forth and then how like in different episodes it would flash back to the same scenario but you would see it in like the other person's point of view so like you know in like the original first episodes when he's at her apartment we see it from his point of point of view but then a couple episodes later it's like we see her burning her fingers on the teapot and like oh yes hitting yes. herself so like it's like oh we didn't even notice that was happening in the first episodes but they kind of yeah. like brought it back to be like nah this bitch is crazy <laughs> yes absolutely i liked how they did that and i liked how they they showed like she definitely had daddy issues and why yeah 100 percent so I did like that they showed like the background character too of why she was crazy or why, you know, and like all this time, like who was she talking to on the phone when she was angry? I thought she was talking to an ex-lover, but then ended up being her dad. That relationship was weird to me also. So, you know, and then like, obviously, you know, she had issues with her therapist and, you know, her therapist is like, you got to find somebody out there for you, somebody new. And it just showed all the life struggles that she was going through that from the outside perspective, you probably wouldn't have noticed it because everybody yeah. thought she was a great person. And this one, she was a victims analyst or like she basically, basically- helped basically helped victims and crimes yeah she was almost like a social worker type thing for victims and crimes and then the first one 
wasn't she was just like a journalist or something I think. yeah yeah she, I don't she didn't really like work or like in... an editor or something like yeah so it uh I definitely would recommend watching it it was comparing the both I think they were both great they were both fantastic they broke both did very well of keeping the story um keeping you got keeping you on your feet keeping you like dude these guys are crazy but i'm very invested so we got to keep going yeah the twists and turns for real so after all that being said I thought it would be fun if I could just make it a full Fatal Attraction night. And I found a story, a true story. And this is a story of, well, actually three people because Fatal Attraction has got to be more than two. (laughs) So it is Brian and Diana Hood versus Jennifer Rayleigh, 1990 in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And Brian Hood is 6'3", football player. Diana is a cheerleader. So, I mean, how could their paths not cross? Um, It was very easy for them to catch an eye of one another, both being in such popular sports and big ones at that. Soon after this, it was inevitable, they became college sweethearts. Soon after, they created a family, they got married, they had three kids, and they settled down in Colorado Springs. But unfortunately, it wasn't long after that, they had a third baby, but after the birth of Diana's baby, she was diagnosed with lupus. But she didn't go down without a fight. Oh, she fought, and she fought hard until finally she was in remission. But unfortunately, due to her illness, it did make her life a little bit harder for her to be a career woman. She was not really able to work the hours of the average person. So she took on a little bit of a harder job, in my opinion, and became a stay-at-home mom to three children. While Dan went out and brought home the bacon, so to speak. I feel like that has to be so tough. Oh, my God. I have two. (laughs) My God. But they're older (laughs) now, so. Uh, Brian and Diana were very religious. They were avid churchgoers. Brian ended up finding himself a successful insurance salesman, and he was able to provide for the family. Now, Brian had also been a retired football athletic guy. So, I mean, you know, small towns, football is like everything. So everybody's all like, oh, Brian, you know, you remember that play? Blah, 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 blah. And, (laughs) you know, he was, you know, that one quarterback, you know, Brian, the nice guy, the good guy, you know, he was still very fit. He was. Um, had the intuition of always going to the gym still. He stayed motivated. It was, you know, still football guy inside of grown man guy. Um, but going to the gym now, is this where 
fate started to put some cracks in his marriage? Was Dan not being a boy? Bad Dan. Um, if you ask the community around him, they'd have nothing but good things to say, of course, you know. And co-workers would say that he was a stand-up guy and the church people would be like, oh, he's such a great guy and such a Christian man and yeah, whatever. That's what they uh, always say. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the ones you got to look out for. I know. So, yeah. Religious guy? I don't know. This is where Jennifer Veely comes into play. Jennifer was a college graduate. She was a mother of two. She was married to Benjamin. He was a captain in the army. He was also works in the intelligence office for the army. So he was a pretty big deal. She held a running job at a flower shop in Fort Carson, which is about nine miles away from Colorado Springs. After a while, um, military life kind of put a strain on Jennifer's marriage. She started to feel a little neglected, probably a little vulnerable. You know, this is where she would probably turn her eye to other men. And in this case, one of them happened to be Brian. It was in March of 1990, 29-year-old Jennifer caught the eye of 33-year-old Brian. Well, they happened to be in a jacuzzi together at the health club in Colorado. And they would go on to say, you know, their friendship was platonic. They were just friends. Um, they had much respect towards each other's significant others. Brian was married, had a family. He was, again, claimed to be this devoted Christian. And so there wasn't really that kind of flirty or playfulness. She felt safe. She felt like they knew their boundaries. They were He was just a family man that she could talk to and understood what she was saying because he had kids and she had kids. So they just had, you know, parent talk. But Jennifer also couldn't help but notice that he was an attractive guy. He was over six foot and he was attentive to her. He was giving her the attention she couldn't get from her husband. Jennifer was emotional. She was vulnerable, like I said. And rest assured, Brian probably played on those without a doubt. Oh, for sure. However, that quickly took a turn. The platonicness started to be platonicless, less platonic, <laughs> and more playful. And soon it was looking like there might be a fair in bloom. Brian showed up at her house one day with a ruse to sell her some insurance. Really, Brian? Now, was this an excuse to go to her house or was he really trying to help her with insurance? Yeah, freaking right. Yeah. Brian would manipulate Jennifer and put ideas in her head by telling her that her husband is probably already cheating on her. He's probably already had affairs. He would tell her that he did not care for her the way that he could. And it didn't take Jennifer long to buy into that. So by the end of the day, they ended up having sex in the laundry room at Jennifer's house. Which, I mean, okay, I can respect. You're not going to do it on your husband's bed where you guys sleep. Because maybe she did feel a little like that's too much, you know, a little too disrespectful. 
Yeah. Um, but I mean, kitchen table, couch, like the laundry right. room just seems very uh, interesting choice. Very 80s movie, but I guess yeah. ding, 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 sticking with, you know. It definitely they did it works on, with the They theme. did it on the kitchen sink, so I guess. They're just being uh, being creative with it. They didn't know that it would lead to, uh, well, what's about to go down, I'm sure, but it works yeah. with the story. <laughs> he looked at Jennifer after they were done and said, we are now one in God's eyes. Ooh, serious. <laughs> um, Brian referred to himself as a born-again Christian. And even though Jennifer was not on that page, she was just infatuated with Brian. So she was just like, okay, give me a break, Brian. You're not a Christian man. A Christian man would not convince somebody to start an affair while they are married. And they would not have an affair while they are married. So, dude. You're not a Christian, my dude. Stop saying it. Fake Christian. Fake Christian. (laughs) But while the cat's away, the mice will play. I think I said that earlier, too. Um, But anyway, it fits in both sides of the stories. Indeed it does. Um, That wasn't the only place they would hook up. They would hook up in the back of Brian's Jeep. They would hook up in dark hidden spots. Just basically anybody and everywhere where nobody could see them. Um, It wasn't long. The two of them started making plans, talking about future, talking about forever. But there was one flaw in that plan. The more in love Jennifer became, let's say the more hypnotized she became, And she got lured into the scheme that Brian was putting together. And he wanted someone in his life eliminated. And that someone would be Diana, his wife, the mother of his three children. Horrifying. Yeah. So it's now 830 at night in Colorado Springs, where Diane Hood is leaving a lupus facility. It's basically like a rehab for her or kind of just like a, a support group, you know, all things to help her with her disease. And she's heading to her car where she sees a shadowy figure. They have army fatigues and a ski mask on. And it's kind of dark. And before she could put together what's happening, the asylum comes out and yells, give me your purse and points a gun at her. She very much obliges, but that doesn't matter. The silent shoots anyway. The first shot goes through one arm, through her chest, and out the other arm. Diane falls to the ground and rolls over on her stomach. The next shot goes straight into her back at point range. However, the autopsy and the evidence would go to show that the first bullet was the one that actually took her life. Diane Hood would succumb to a slow death in the parking lot, bleeding out while the assailant took her purse and ran and not looked back. Within just two days, the headlines hit. Fatal attraction murder hits the headlines. A tagline that reads, Jennifer Rayleigh. The town was shocked. They couldn't believe it. Her best friend even blogged and quoted, I can't believe, not Jenny. Not, you know, Jenny from the block. 
I literally was just thinking that. I, was I might like, have added the Jenny from the she's block not, myself. I was but... like, she's not Jenny from the block anymore. Um, she was too sweet. She was too nice. There's no way she could do something like this. But in all reality, she could. And she did. They compared Jennifer to the actress of Glenn Close in Fatal Attraction, naming the story Fatal Attraction Murder as the headline. Now, I don't agree with what Jennifer did. And I agree she is guilty of her crimes. But I do not think this is a Glenn Close situation. I feel like Jennifer was a victim in a lot of other ways. And I'm going to continue on with the story. And then Kay can tell us if I'm off my rocker or if she agrees. (laughs) Jennifer was a baby boomer era baby. She really didn't have it easy when it came to relationships. Her first big relationship, she was actually date raped. Mm. But back then... We didn't talk about date rape. Most people didn't come out when they were raped. They hush-hushed it. They were too embarrassed. It was probably my fault. All the things. I mean, it's 2023, and we're just now getting brave enough to where women can tell their story. Right. Because up until a couple years ago, it was still the woman's fault, you know? Mm -hmm. Yep. And then when they did tell their story, the people were still found not guilty or so then we're like, why do we even come out? But it's changing now, so let's just hope it keeps going that right direction. Definitely. So after she got date raped, um, sadly, she decided to stay and have a relationship with that man for another year. Which is also heartbreaking because, ew, like, do do better. You could do better. I promise. So much better. But also heartbreaking because Jennifer wanted to be an architect like her dad. She was a good student in college. She was very smart. She wanted to go on and do great things. But that rape left a dark hole in her. The terrible relationship was very draining on her. It kind of veered her away from achieving her goals. Yeah. She was a people pleaser and she always tried to please the men that she was with. and. When this relationship with this guy um, and it just took so long for her to be able to break away from him. Eventually she did, but I mean, a whole year of trauma, you know, after the breakup, it wasn't long. She met her husband, Benjamin. She had finished three years of architectural school. So she went back to school. She only had two years left to complete it. But then her future husband dropped a bomb on saying, hey, he was being deployed to Germany. So it's marry me now or marry me never. And at first, like every relationship, the marriage, it was great. It was beautiful. She said yes. They went to Europe. They just blissfully toured all of Europe. But then the honeymoon stage started to not be in such honeymoon. Um, Things started to get rocky. The marriage took a toll, and now she's having her doubts. But somewhere along the line, she became dismissive to him as well. 
she would start, you know, again, doing things to please him and doing what he needs and going along what benefits him. And she lost herself again. And it could very easily be explained. Like, I mean, you moved to Germany. You don't know anyone but your man. He's a military man. So I feel like it's not that hard to put all your eggs in one basket, so to speak. Like, if he's the only person you really know and you're one all be all, how hard is it for you to get kind of lost in where he begins and you end? You know what I mean? Right. Especially if she had nobody around with her. Like, it was literally just always hyper focused on him because that's the only person she knew. It would be so easy to for that to happen. Yeah. And you're in. Germany. So the language barrier alone is just probably tough to break the barriers, meeting new people in the first place. And then you're an army wife. So maybe you'll meet some other army wives, but you just dropped out of college. You quit your goals, you quit your dreams. That's got to be like heart wrenching and like a little deflating. Right. A hundred percent. Jennifer's favorite thing was art and music. And that was her life, her passions. And she said that slowly that got taken away from her. Um, Her husband, again, kind of ruined that for her. And that was kind of like the beginning of the end for her and her husband, because all her passions for anything was just gone. And then there's um, Diana. Brian would often tell Jennifer that Diana was sick with lupus and that it was heartbreaking and that she was miserable and she was suffering and that the only way they could really be together is if Diana wasn't around and the best thing for Diana would to just be for her to die peacefully in her sleep. Then it wasn't long before Brian changed his tune just a little bit and told him that he had a vision from God. And it was in this vision, he was coming to him and telling him that the plan is that Diana has to die, which I don't know what kind of God would say that. (laughs) Right. But in Brian's version, um, that Jennifer is the chosen one. She needs to be the one that kills Diane in this vision for it to be God's way. There is just too much mental illness going on everywhere yeah just a lot of fuck upery yeah and we're making a lot of words up today so just flow with it people i love it (laughs) so she needs to shoot diana when she's coming out of the parking lot from her lupus support group of all places how fucked up and make it look like a robbery gone wrong Because who robs people at a lupus facility? Bro, they're going straight to hell. I mean, it's not a grocery store, people. It's not the mall. Like, you're literally at a support group where people are trying to battle their emotions of being sick. So sick. Oh, but if that's not bad enough, he somehow convinces Jennifer that She needed to find a gun. She needed to go get the gun. And she needed to get a pair of fatigues from the army and dress all in black 
grab a ski mask and hide in a dark shadow and basically has to do all the legwork too. Okay, but Jennifer, girl. I, I know. Oh, my gosh. So that's what Jennifer did. Jennifer got herself ready. She said, okay, um, let's do this. She got the fatigue. She got the gun. She got dressed. She went and found the, you know, the dark spot. She waited behind a tree. She waited for Diana to come out and demanded her purse. And like we already went over, shot Diane and left her bleeding and dying in the parking lot. So unfair. Later, Diane did die at the hospital of the gunshot wounds. However, there was one witness and they asked her about it. And she said she saw someone a little over five foot. It was a man dressed in dark clothes, pointed a gun, robbed her of the purse, shot her, and then put the purse over her shoulder and ran away. Wait, Hmm. what? Over her shoulder? The cops were kind of like, hmm, that's kind of odd because a man would just hold on to the purse with his hand and run. But maybe a woman would instinctively put it on her shoulder like she does every day of her life, not realizing what she's doing and carry it like a woman should. Fishy, fishy, spishy, spishy. I love these little details that people get caught up on. It's like brilliant. They brought cadaver dogs to the scene and the dogs followed the scent. They followed it down to the garbage cans down the road and they found the ski mask and the army fatigues. And inside the ski mask was one dark brown strand of hair. Gotcha. Gotcha, mother food. <laughs> When the police made it to the hospital, they did notice a man standing off to the side. He's kind of quiet, wasn't really doing much of anything. The police kind of questioned, like, hey, you know, who are you? And he looked up, very mundane, and he said, oh, I'm her husband. Just like that. He didn't look sad. He didn't look distressed. He didn't look anything. He just kind of looked like just standing here. So that was kind of another red flag. I mean, these red flags are just popping up everywhere. Like, ping, 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 ping. <laughs> For real. Like, how are you just so unbothered? Or how are you going to even just act unbothered in front of the police? Like, he truly gives no Fs. So after going over with the eyewitnesses, they knew that Brian was not there. Um, that was not the guy that they were looking for. Because the guy that was pointed out by the witness, she was over six foot. And the witness said the guy that she saw do it was only about five foot. So that wouldn't have made sense. But they didn't want to just kind of brush past it that fast. So they decided they were going to check Brian's past. Kind of go through his personal life. Let's just see what we come across. And across they came. And that was a membership to the gym. So they thought, let's go to the gym. So they did. And they questioned a lot of employees, and they did say that Brian had a reputation of trying to hit on women there. Most of the women were appalled, and they were kind of like, ew, gross. But there was one woman in particular who did not turn Brian away. 
and her name was Jennifer Rayleigh. And she actually works at the flower shop just down the road. So the cops were like, okay. So they decided that's their next stop. Let's go to the flower shop. On their way, they get a call. And the detective had said that the forensics analyst, analysis said they got a hit on the ballistics and they're going to want to hear this. The forensic specialist identified the weapon and said it was a highly unique Colt 45, a.k.a. known as the Peacemaker. Colt 45. (laughs) Sorry, I was just kind of getting into it. Um, They said that it was actually known as a gun that won the West in 1878. So this gun is very specific, which... Jennifer, out of all the guns to use. You dumb bitch. I mean, really? I mean, um, good. I'm glad. But you if know. they could if they could find the gun, then they could find the killer. So they go to the flower shop and they question the employees there. And he was more than happy to give them information about Jennifer. They gave her the full name. They gave him Jennifer's husband's full name. They also gave him some details about Jennifer's work ethic. They go on to say that she would go in the parking lot with Brian a lot and like make out in the car for like an hour. And then they said that she would also have a lot of hush hush conversations on the phone, very private. And they had to kind of tell her like, look, this is work hours, your personal calls, like this can't happen. The detectives tracked down Ben and They told him they needed to ask him some questions about a murder investigation. Benjamin replied with, does it involve a gun? Ben then opened up his office drawer and pulled out a gun that was wrapped up in a cloth and handed it to the detectives. And the detectives unfolded it and realized they were literally holding the smoking gun in their hands. Detectives related that they they were elated that they found the weapon and they wrapped it back up and they started to leave. But before they got out the door, Ben grabbed their attention and said, hey, just so you know, my wife asked me to put that in my desk just the day before. Hmm. He said, yeah, she used the excuse that she just didn't want the weapons in the house. Hmm. Good to know. Good to know. Weird. Yep, yep, yep. So the detectives were still trying to piece this puzzle together. And for a quick second, you know, is Ben involved? Like, did he kill his lover's wife for revenge? Did he know about the affair? Or was just something that Jennifer was dealing with and then just got caught up in it? Now, lo and behold, detectives are surprised when they're finishing up the conversation with Ben and Jennifer bursts through the door, but to her surprise, there are two detectives standing there. And they decide to go with the new plan and say they were taking Ben downtown for questioning. And then Jennifer swoops in and says, well, then I'm going with you. Okay. Detectives agreed, but they made him ride in separate vehicles. And... Now they're kind of like a lot of flags kind of going around Jennifer now. Now Jennifer's got their attention. 
which is weird because she wasn't even on the radar that hard and she just fully jumped in with both feet like deep end of it like she like did it to herself basically once they got to the station they started interrogating ben and they let him know what the ballistics matched the gun they also did show him the fatigues and ben did say like yeah those are mine you know so for a quick second they're like that's not looking good for ben in this moment but in all reality, they knew probably wasn't been involved because, again, looking for the main suspect, if you go back and remember the ski mask and the five foot, Ben was not five foot. So they arrest Jennifer. They take her downtown. They question her. She put up a fight. She did not go easy and she did not go quietly. She denied everything. She denied even knowing who Brian was. But then the detectives sat down and they went hard on her and they laid everything out in front of her. And they said, look, we know. We have the evidence. We have the stuff. It's all here. And it didn't take long. Jennifer crumbled and confessed. And for the next three hours, she told them everything she needed to know. It's kind of like Crystal was being interrogated. Yeah, I would I would crack. I would crumble just like Jennifer. While Jennifer was giving her confession, she explained that it was a mercing killing. It was not vicious. She explained how Diane had lupus and she was dying and that she was in love with Brian and he was a Christian man and that Brian was a man of God. And this was all done out of peace to make Diane feel better. Dude, I would be like, are you insane? Do you hear yourself? Jennifer gave up her rights and she was kind of naive to do that. She should have asked for attorney, but she said she didn't need one. Um, She should have not talked as much as she did, but again, she rambled on. Um, And she was a little naive to think that the cops would understand why she did what she did. She was very naive when it came to Brian. She's very blindsided when it comes to Brian. Um, She really did believe that he was going to give her the happily ever after she so yearned for. As the detectives watched her talk, they really do believe she believed that what she did was a Christian thing and that it wasn't it wasn't violent and mean and it wasn't supposed to be that way. And she really believed that, you know, Brian was the end all be all and everything he said was true. Oh, Jennifer. It's heartbreaking because you've been manipulated. You've been gaslighted. You've been made a fool of. You have been taken advantage of in so many ways your whole life. Jennifer did not go home that night. They booked her and sent her to jail. When you look at the story, what does this mean? Is it a mental health issue or do you think she was duped? Do you think it was a little girl trapped inside a woman's body and just very easily manipulated? Or was she a Glenn Close, cold-hearted, vicious murderer? Mm, I I think that because of, like, the way 
she grew up in the early relationships that she had formed and experienced that kind of molded her way of thinking. And she also, I think, had probably some mental health stuff going on because to believe something like that is okay to do. I just think it was all of that. I don't think that she was like evil. I think she just had issues. She got mixed up with the wrong dude again. Yeah. You know why the other guys might have been physically abusive. I don't know if he was the whole year they were together, but I'm going to count raping someone as physical abuse. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, this one was probably more emotional abusive. You know, her f- husband didn't seem to care for her the way he should have cared for her. She didn't get the love and devotion she should have from being married and from having a husband. And then she meets Brian, who was just messy from the very beginning. Like, oh, dear God. But he said all the perfect things to her, you know. Um, he reeled her in. 85% of murders are men. 15% of murderers are women. Women usually kill for two reasons, love or personal gain. Like I'll get the house, I'll get the insurance, I'll get whatever's left. Um, detectives on the case, they're not a fan of Jennifer. He actually cannot stand her and said that he truly believes Jennifer did this in a jealous fit of rage. There was also another scenario that Jennifer killed more for love that she knew she needed to get Diane out of the picture. Um, There was some grooming going on by Brian, manipulating, gaslighting, narcissistic, always getting what he wants, using Jennifer as a weapon. I believe that she was just fully taken advantage of. Like she wanted her happily happily ever after, and she just never truly got it. And for some reason, she saw that in Brian, got scared, did not want to lose that, So in the end, she did what she had to do. But in the end, she lost Brian anyway. Which they usually do. Right. Usually doesn't turn out too good. Usually not. There is an interview with Jennifer. And she goes on to say that she feels duped by Brian. That he played her for a fool. He took his time with her. He was warm and affectionate when her husband was cold and was not. And he showed her attention that her husband wasn't giving her and basically got her, got her where she needed to be and wore her down. And it was at this time where she said that, you know, he even used religion saying God was telling him this and Jennifer needs to do that. And, you know, Brian, you know, she was just caught up with him and Brian would even go on to say like, don't worry, babe, you know, you won't get caught. The police are too stupid. They're not going to solve this case. They won't be able to put it together. Jennifer was asked in an interview on the Wondery podcast called Killer Psych. And in the interview with Candace DeLong, Candace asked if she ever tried telling Brian, no, I don't want to do this. And she said, yes. I did tell him that once he got so mad that he slams his fist on the steering wheel and got so angry that it actually really scared her. When Brian, the pathetic piece of shit that he is, went on to ask his golf buddies first 
if they would help him kill his wife. And the golf buddies were like, absolutely not, dude. He knew he had to come up with another plan. And that's when Jennifer stepped into the spotlight. I just don't understand, like, you know, killing, murdering your wife doesn't have to be step one. You know, maybe, like, try to get a divorce first. (laughs) Like, I just don't understand. Yeah, and I'm not putting any blame on anybody besides Jennifer and Brian. But, like, I keep wondering, too, like, if the golf buddies would have said something, like, called the police and be like, hey, we just got approached by this, would this have stopped them in their tracks way before it got started? Like, gave Diana heads up, you know what I mean? Yeah. But maybe the golf buddies didn't take it serious. Maybe they were drinking or maybe it was just more of like, I'm just kidding, you know? Like, Well, they probably felt really shitty afterwards. No kidding. He truly believed that this was a foolproof plan. Like, but then again, narcissistic, narcissistics do. And when it fell through, Jennifer got arrested and he had no shits to give. He let her sit in jail. He didn't come to her aid. He didn't come to her side. As long as he keeps his story and he keeps on lying and he keeps on denying everything, he feels he's good. Like... You know, you never loved Jennifer. You don't know what love is. And if he did love Jennifer, he'd be by her side and he'd be trying to get her out and he'd be like, she didn't do this. You know, there's no possible way. Even if he didn't confess himself, he would have been there trying to defend her at all costs. But he looked out for number one and that was himself. And I just want to add that the detectives talked to Diane's doctor And yes, she had lupus, but she wasn't dying. She wasn't suffering. She was on a medication. She was on treatment and she was living a very manageable life. She had a lot of years left of life. It just turns out her husband's a piece of shit and he just wanted to get rid of her and not deal with her anymore. So he took the coward's way out. When Jennifer described the murder, she admitted that she had no emotion towards the victim and that she was kind of almost like on an autopilot. She just went very numb. She said before the murder, this was God's plan. And if it wasn't, he would send her a sign telling her not to do this. Her car wouldn't start. Her car would break down. There'd be something to give her a sign. And she never got that sign. They did get, trials and they did get tried separately actually jennifer got two of them and uh this is very hard because the trial was for jennifer to plead not guilty by a moment of insanity and they had to try to prove that she was not insane or not sane while this happened and that she had to know that the difference between right and wrong, and she had to know know that she didn't know that at the time. And only 2% of the time, people are actually approved insane when they did it. That's a very low number. Yeah. And you have to prove that you did not know what you were doing at the time of the crime, and that you were not in the state of mind. And that's hard to convince. And in most cases, 
there's a long-standing mental illness pattern that happens. You have a history of mental illness. And again, Jennifer didn't show that. While she may have had some issues because of horrible men, she wasn't that much off. She's had poor choice in men. Right, because it's probably hard to try to convince, you know, jurors that you did something because of a moment of insanity. It's like, how do you prove that? Like, they weren't in your mind, so they can't really prove it if there's no previous history and evidence of you having anything. So that would be a really hard, you know, way to go. And unfortunately, that sentence was blown out of the court because like she doesn't have a mental health issue she did not have the history so they're like yeah no that's not gonna work like you're gonna get a regular trial and you know it was more manipulation it was more love it was more that wasn't love it was all sticky and love and not love and infatuation but it wasn't crazy you know what i mean yeah the prosecutors thought that jennifer was love enraged jealousy they said that they wanted her wife dead they said that she was just basically enraged in anger they also went on to say that she could have went to the cops and explained why brian wanted it to be done but she chose not to she didn't want to lose him by going to him going to jail. And they also needed her dead because they needed insurance movie money so they could move on with their lives. Jennifer was found guilty first degree. She got 63 years in prison. In 2010, she did get a lower sentence down to 32, which at that point would give her a chance for parole. Brian, on the other hand, got conspiracy to commit a murder, and he only got 32 years. The jury went on to say that it's because he didn't actually pull the trigger, he was not as guilty. But I call bullshit on that. Yeah, he's the one that planned it all. The dumbass actually escaped from prison, but it didn't take long because they caught up with him and brought his ass back, and they sentenced him to confinement. They took away his possibility of parole and he had to serve a full 37 years. He's such an, such an idiot. She said in an interview, if she could go back in time, she would change places with Diane and she would basically be happy to give Diane her life back and she would take Diane's place. She does have regret. She does have remorse of how things played out. She said that she doesn't tell the inmates that she's in prison because of murder. She says she's in prison because she did not properly handle her life. She goes on to say that you're only as sick as your secrets. And by keeping secrets, if she would have just invited one person into her drama, told one person her story, this would have never happened. In 2014, Jennifer was in prison. She got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. She did ask for parole for two years straight, and both times she was denied. 
Finally, in 2017, Jennifer was finally granted parole after an unlikely person showed up and showed forgiveness, and that was one of Diane's sons. He said he decided to forgive Brian and forgive Jennifer because as a doubt Christian and him being a Christian man, it was the right thing to do. Jennifer got out of prison and she was living in a halfway house where she was allowed to go to work and come home from work. She was helping people reestablish themselves after getting out of prison, kind of helping them get back into society. But sadly, three months later, after getting out of prison, her cancer got the best of her and she passed away at the age of 55. So I will say I don't excuse what Jennifer did. I definitely, and maybe I'm wrong, but I kind of hold Brian more accountable than Jennifer. Yeah, because he manipulated her because she would have never, I mean, I don't know, but I don't think she would have ever just done that. Like, that wouldn't have just been a thought of her, hers to do, like, to just go and shoot Diane. Right. Um, I don't think it's the Glenn Close story. And the reason, one of the reasons why I picked it was because the headlines claimed um, Battle Attraction murder Glenn Close story. Right. Um, and I feel like it was not really Glenn Closey. Um, Glenn Close was angry. Glenn Close was, she was probably more the manipulator. Yeah, 100%. Um, she was the aggressor. And I don't think Jennifer was really the aggressor. She was because she murdered Diana. She did the crime, but I think it was in a crime of passion and it was, just kind of like you said, caught up and brainwashed by Brian. Um, but I don't think she was a natural born aggressive person. Yeah, I don't think so either. I think it was just a combination of everything that happened in her life. And, you know, not trying to give an excuse because she still obviously shouldn't have made that decision. But I don't think, yeah, like you said, it wasn't like a Glenn Close uh, fatal attraction situation. Different kind of fatal attraction. Yeah. Um, sad story. I'm sad she got caught up in it. Um, I will say, I mean, at the end of the day, she lost her life. I mean, she got out of prison after I think it was like 29 years or something like that. Um, so she did end up getting out of prison, but then she faced it, faced it, another new word. <laughs> she faced, <laughs> On a roll. She faced the death penalty in a roundabout way because she got three months of freedom and then she died. So I will say she did deserve prison time, but I'm kind of glad she didn't die of cancer in prison. Yeah, I get that. Like, she had that three months of trying to redeem herself and trying to earn God's forgiveness back and change her ways. And, you know, she uh, she definitely made sure she stayed away from Dan. Oh, my God. Oh, Brian. 
I know. We said Dan, though, where we were like, what did we say? I don't even know. But it, I realized that and I was like, oh, that's funny. Okay, Dan, so Brian, they're, they're both. We used the bags. name Dan in the last 10 minutes. It's supposed to be Brian and it's just a lot of confusing. Because his nicknames, one... we're giving Brian the nickname Dan because he's basically a Dan. <laughs> Pretty much. Like we talked about going close in the very first part of the episode and then the end of the episode. So it's just got all entangled. <laughs> um, they're all connected but yes Brian she stayed away from Brian and um, she's just very glad that she didn't get sucked back into his stupidity of life um, so I uh, I don't want to say she got what she deserved she did deserve prison time and if that's what it took before she got out of prison and so be it and i glad she died that's kind of harsh but i'm glad she just didn't have to do it in prison she got a little bit of peace before she died because she had a really shitty life yeah yeah she didn't didn't have the best experience so that is kind of sad on her part yes so couple couple of victims in different ways in this story i feel like yes and the kids, all the kids too. Yeah. Cause her even her kids, like, oh my gosh. They all lost their moms. Yeah. And well, I'd say in dads, but Ben probably got to keep his kids. Yeah, that's true. Um, but yep. So that was our failed attraction episode of all fatally attractions. <laughs> They, they all sadly were fatal. <laughs> and if you haven't seen the movie or the series, I definitely suggest watching them. If I were you, I'd watch the movie and then the TV series just by chronicle order. Of yeah, years. I agree. I feel like if you watch the movie and then the series, it'd be better than watching the series and then the movie just because it's dated, you know. Um, but... Yeah, hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode. I mean, maybe not the true crime aspect, but just the comparisons of of Dan. Dan and Brian. <laughs> I love it. I still love Sleepless in Seattle. That's my favorite scene. Did you see Phil Attraction? No, you wouldn't let me. Well, it scared the shit out of me. It scared the shit out of every man in America. And when I tell you, I was watching it with my husband. He told me that he was having anxiety over the movie because Michael Douglas was just such an idiot and that his wife was hot, his mistress was ugly, and he just keeps making stupid choices over and over again. I thought he was kidding. But when I tell you I went to bed that night, I was exhausted. And I come out of the bathroom walking towards the bed and my husband is taking two Tums before he went to bed. <laughs> the next morning i did ask him i was like did it really affect you that hard he's like no i just had a stomach ache because some of the dairy that i ate <laughs> I like, okay because i'm just saying like i get it but like what? i was about to say dang i'm about to put that movie on <laughs> that was me during son of anarchies okay but <laughs> right different reasons <laughs> that's so funny yeah, which ding, 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 if you haven't seen it, go back to last week's or two weeks ago. 
Yes, son of anarchy. Sorry. Shout we were out. on vacation. Our weeks are mixed up. Yes. But um, even though but I was on vacation, I did do some social posting on the beach. So on vacation, I was still working a little bit. Working on the beach. I love it. <laughs> if only that could be like the full-time office, right? Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't know. That day was really hot. That was a day we did get a little too red that day. But so maybe not full-time beach, just sometimes. <laughs> just sometimes. Poolside lounge, you know. Right. Whatever works. <laughs> but we will be back again next week. And KK has a story. And when I say she's going to deliver, deliver she's not going to disappoint. Get ready, peeps. Get ready for it. So thank you for bearing with us. And... Yeah. Any Dan's out there, we're not going to be ignored. Don't ignore us, Dan. We will not be ignored. <laughs> so until next week, we got to go. Stay creepy, guys. Bye. Bye.